Peter there, chapter 2, 1 through 11. <clears throat> Verse 3 was read for us. Um, I think we've got time to go ahead and read the rest of it and uh, go ahead and put that down for our foundation. So let's begin in verse four. It says, for if God spared not the angels that sin, but cast them down to hell and delivered or committed them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth, uh, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with uh, an overthrow, making them an example unto those that are after should live ungodly. And deliver just lot vexed or distressed with filthy conversation of the wicked. For the righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteousness soul, righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust until the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of uh, dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. So what do we gain from those 11 verses? Just right off the bat. Before we read anything in the book, what will we get? God will judge. God will judge as he has in the past and as he will in the future. It'd be quick and accurate. Those who are not obedient. Those who live lasciviously in their lives, those who are selfish, and I'm not talking about letting somebody play with your, not letting somebody play with your toys. I'm talking about selfish in our own desires, putting things before God, and God will judge. God will judge. What does the Bible say about our idle words? Everyone will, every one of those words will what? Be accountable. Be accountable for. Things that we speak. As we talked to me tonight, an invitation to the fountain bring forth 
sweet water and bitter? Does the, should the mouth of a Christian bring forth good words and bad words? Most certainly not. Those words will come into judgment. Our actions, things we do, things that we don't do. Now he's talking a little bit here about false teachers as well. But you know, I guess we could take and bring that on into our lives too because our lives are doing what to people? Influencing and teaching, right? Should be. Things that our actions, things we do and things we don't do are teaching. And we are speaking of false teachers here. So we can be really deemed a false teacher, if you want to, if you will, by the actions of our lives. And we're going to be judged because of, of those things. In your introduction, the very first statement, according to the prophet of Isaiah, God what? God knows. He knows the end from the beginning. He's all-knowing, the book says. Nothing escapes his attention. It says that he even knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows when a sparrow falls. So God knows everything. And he says, God is also completely just. He'll render to each one according to his deeds, eternal life to those who, who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immorality, but to those who are what? Self-seeking. What's another word for that? Selfish. And do not obey the truth, but obey what? The unrighteousness, indignation and wrath and tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. Romans 2, 6 through 9. No one, we can say this morning, no, not, no one person will what? Escape God's punishment or judgment. Scripture says that every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. And if we don't do it here, while we're conscious on this earth and in this old body, we will do it in the end. But you know, that knee and bow and confession then will be no good until toward our salvation. Be too late, won't it? Verse 5 there in that we just read, God's future wrath. All through Scripture in the Bible, you see God's wrath that is kindled against his people because of what? Disobedience. Disobedience. 
being disobedient. What does it mean to be disobedient? Not do what one says. Not do what one says. So it's important to be obedient, isn't it? Down at the bottom of page 103, although many fear the judgment of God, Scripture describes the final judgment as a time when wrongs will be what? Made right. Our tabs will come due. Many of farmers and things that keep tabs at the feed stores, right? They, uh, if you ever, if you ever own a business, whether it be a feed store or whatever, sometimes tabs aren't what they ain't paid, are they? Well, I'm gonna tell you this: this tab will be paid that day in full, not a partial, will it? Paul told the Thessalonians in our introduction there. Uh, in emphasizing that point, Christians who are suffering for their faith, that it is a righteous thing when God, with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you and, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is real from heaven and his mighty angels in flaming fire, take vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second Thessalonians one and verse six through seven. Those who suffer unjustly can take comfort in what? Knowing God is going to be, yeah. Exactly. What about y'all when I'm hot? Those who suffer unjustly can take comfort in those things. He's aware of it. And all of these things against we as Christians are not going to go unchecked. But our problem is we want them checked what? Now. <laughs> I want to get back at them now. I, wanna, <laughs> I don't want to wait. Someone un treats me unjustly or does something to me, I want to get them back right now. That's the easy thing to do, isn't it? Ecclesiastes 12, verse 14, God will bring every work into judgment, including what? Every secret thing, whether good or evil. Hmm. Let me think about that. We have secrets here, don't we, Ken? We have, somebody says, now, keep this a secret. I ain't found too many people who can do that. <laughs> a lot of folks can't keep things a secret. But you think about God knows those things. I've always told you the story. I'd ask my mom and my grandmama, God even know what I'm doing when I'm in a closet? I can remember them saying, yes, even in a closet. I don't know what I was thinking. I guess I thought about getting in a closet doing something I was supposed to do, I guess. I don't know. But our lesson text today, as the introduction brings out, 
is going to show us and describe to us how God will ultimately deal with those people who are troubling Christians, who are not obedient, who are false teachers. And Peter reasoned here in the first part of our scripture that if he done that to who? The angels in heaven... Justly, he'll do it to us, because we're nowhere near the what? Level of an angel, I guess you'd say. He said, if he'll keep them out of heaven. You see, hell was not prepared for us. Who was it prepared for? Devil and his angels. See, a lot of people think that Heaven and hell was prepared for mankind. Mm -mm. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. Now he takes also in reason, uh, reasons here, talk about the wickedness of Noah's day. Eight souls were saved in that ark. Talks about the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because he would surely punish the wicked and preserve the faithful. Now you notice there in our text, he says, the Lord knows how to do what? Yeah, deliver the godly out of temptation, out of those trials, and to reserve, mark it down, make sure it's going to happen. going to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment and especially those who walk according to the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. Now that last few words right there, does that not describe our society today? <laughs> I, studied, I thought about that. Those who walk after the lust of the flesh and especially that last part, despise authority. That's our society today. You're not going to tell me what I cannot do. I mean, that just boils down to what our society does. Um, it's called respect, disrespect, and all this. We can go to a whole study on that. So Peter draws a contrast here between the false teachers and God and he, he points out that the false teachers were destructive in the things and the very deceptive in what they were saying and doing. And unlike God, because God was what? Rightfully just and faithful. And the very last statement of our introduction says, we must trust we must have faith in him to render appropriate judgment at the appropriate time. Now that's the key. Now the first section there deals with then and then and now. First statement says we're not the first individuals to face what? False teachers. 
False teachers, it says, brings about deceptive but destructive doctrines. They, 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 uh, they destroy what God has built up and what God has said. When you get a false teacher into the Lord's church, it destroys the church, doesn't it? Destroys the family of God. Destroys the unity, the love that should be there. And he goes on points out that those who are suffering for their faith, now there's a key there, suffering for what? Their faith and not because of their own actions. He says those who are suffering for their faith, and he lays it out there, it's a righteous thing for God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and give you who are troubled rest. Our rest, we may get a little rest from time to time here from things, <laughs> but I don't know about you, but it seems like when I go through one valley and get to the top of the hill, I'm back down headed to the void. Next valley. <laughs> I don't know about y'all, but that's just the way life seems sometimes. That's why we have statements like you got to go through the, the valleys to get to the mountaintop. But again, he points out about his angels. His mighty angels in flaming fire will take vengeance. That day will come, as we said a while ago, it'll be quick. I've always been thought about that. It says that the scripture says, in the what? Blink, blink of an eye. Just think about that. We don't we blink so many times a day we don't even think about it anymore, do we? <laughs> Unless we got something in our eye. That's when you really think about it and it bothers you, right? But you think about that. You just blinked, I seen you. <laughs> That quick. That quick. You, you think about it. There's no time. There's no time to repair. There's no time to say, oh, no, here it comes. You know, it's just like back home, uh, we'd, we'd have tornadoes coming through the pasture, in the back pasture. We'd say, oh, we can see it coming. Go time, it's about time to go get in the storm shelter. We'd watch it as long as we could watch it. Till things, till the debris started hitting you. And then when the debris started hitting you, you better get underground. Because you ain't got just a few seconds. It ain't going to be like that. Blink of an eye, he says. God will bring every work into judgment. Secret thing, good and evil. Now you think about that. <coughs> I've lived... 52 years, I think. Could be 53. I ain't sat down and figured it out. Everything unrepented of, everything that we, whatever, is going to be brought, whether it be good or whether it be evil. It's pretty sobering when you think about that. Uh, that's why it's always good to make sure things are right with God, isn't it? Make sure those things, because in a blink of an eye, it could change. And you're done here. So, again, you think about 
the false prophets. Now you think about Moses and how he provided a way for the people to identify them, uh, speaking of the Lord and, uh, and how things, you know, transpired. False prophets were covetous, adulterous, intentionally deceptive. You go on down, while true prophets convey God's word to the people of Israel, false prophets introduced their own inventions. That's the thing about false teachers today. They got their own inventions. They got their own ways of thinking, own ways of doing things, own ways of, of doing uh, how to worship, how to worship more better. I don't know any better way to worship God than how he's instructed, <laughs> to be honest with you. Do what, Brother Jim? There's not one. Yeah, they're really good speakers. They ain't like me. I'm just a down-home, old country boy. And sometimes my words get wrapped around my eye, too. Have you ever heard that one? My tongue got around my eye, too. That's what my granddad used to say. He said, I couldn't get it out. My tongue got wrapped around my eye, too. But you think about those things. Sadly, Peter warned the Christians false teachers would come among them. Matthew 7 and 15, it gives you scripture there concerning those things and, and, and how to identify them. He says they'll come in what? Yeah, they're not going to come in blowing a horn down and out, out here in the parking lot and out through the doors, come in here and say, I'm come here to deceive you. I've come here to change the way you worship. I've come here to change the way you think about the certain the doctrines that Christ has put down. They don't come in doing that. They come in very subtle. Very, very subtle changes in the Lord's church. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, a lot of times they start uh, with things that uh, cosmetically. I've seen it. I mean, I've watched it in churches that I've been at. Uh, they start cosmetically, changing little things, and then it moves to bigger things. So again, he warns us after that. Acts 20, 29, and 30. Um, I think Peter describes them, one of them describes them there is, is uh, after my departure, wolves will come in. Describes them as wolves. Wolves in sheep's clothing. I always think about that. Y'all remember that cartoon, had that sheep dog? That old wolf. Yeah, he clocked in at that old wolf and put a sheep thing on. He across the pasture and trying to get him a sheep. That old dog, he think that old dog couldn't see him. Then he'd take, be behind a tree and just wear him out with a stick. <laughs> I love cartoons. I still get up and watch them on Saturday morning. Um, I love cartoons. My kids make fun of me. They'll say, listen, Daddy, he's in there laughing. <laughs> uh, my favorite one was that Roadrunner. Roadrunner, the cow. <laughs> he never caught him. Um, but anyway... Moving to more important things. False teachers gloried in their privileges of Christianity, but treated it, its demands lightly, with indifference. 
there at the bottom of the page. They enjoy, that's the same thing today. False teachers who come, who are among us today, they enjoy the things of Christianity and want to enjoy the rewards and the, and the great blessings and things that come from that, but they don't want to stick to its demands and they treat them lightly and, and, and find indifferences. On page 106, however, they will deny the Lord who bought them. John Woods writes, he says, the Lord's deity was questioned by some, 1 John 4 and 15, and his humanity by others, 1 John 4 and 2, some teachers then and now, he says, deny the threefold personality of the Godhead, maintaining that there is uh, but one person with three manifestations. Others held the doctrine that the body of Christ was not, uh, was not real but imaginary, while still others, by their wicked and corrupt lives, denied their master by using their bodies as their own and not his. He says, reference to denying the Lord by Peter is significant to the light of his own previous conduct. To him, this has involved the greatest possible apostasy. Next section there, what are false teachers, and a lot of times people, again, what are they motivated, motivated by? Yeah, covetousness, personal gain, they exploited Christians with deceptive words, great orators, make you feel really good. Oh, uh, uh, Joel Osteen and oh, the other guy, Stanley guy, I can't remember his name now. Yeah, Rubel Shelley's in the Lord's Church. They were all great orators. Yeah, I mean, you know, they, they, they're really good at what they do, to be honest with you. Smooth, if you will. But that's what they're motivated by. Peter predicted they would be well-received. Why are they well-received? Because people like what they say and how they say it. You, know, you ever... You ever listen to someone talk? We see a lot of times in education, they just have a, a soothing voice. I don't have a soothing voice. Unless I'm on live stream or whatever and Dana's dog goes to sleep. Every time, I, every time we was doing that virtual whatever, <laughs> I'd put their dog asleep. She'd send me a picture of her dog. It'd be awake when it started, but when I got done, he was asleep. But they'd have soothing words. Um, but he says many will follow those destructive ways. Now you look at the world today. Many people follow these people who are false teachers. Number one, their way of salvation is really easy because they say all you got to do is what? Call the name of the Lord. Accept him as your personal Savior. Pray this prayer and you're done. Send me a hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah. yeah, send me a hundred dollars. Um, so it's easy. He, and, and, and Peter lays it out here and he says, many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. And then the book points out says, we shouldn't miss the emphasis here 
that the text places on the word destruction, destructive heresies, which eventually result in swift destruction, follow the destructive ways, translated as sensuality, depraved conduct. Destructive is used to describe the coming judgment reserved for false teachers. Consequences of the future judgment say that the destruction is not sleeping, uh, is to say that it will certainly come. The fabricated words will be exposed in all their hollowness on the day of judgment. False teachers, and even in these denominational and and all you know, all your denomination beliefs and things, non-denominational, their words are are hollow. They don't, if you really dig into them off the surface of just hearing them from their presentation, they're really hollow if you'll go dig on it. They really don't make sense. They really don't line up, if you will. Next section, judgment before. To assure his readers that God would eventually render appropriate judgment on false teachers who troubled them, Peter reminded how God dealt with wickedness throughout the ages. He began starting with his angels. Again, we see a reference to that. Send them into that chains of darkness or pits, if you will, to be reserved for judgment. So there's numerous questions that exist about this statement. When did this event occur? What uh, sin did the angels commit? Remarkably, the text offers little insight on that. But the point is not about what took place. Peter's emphasizing what? God will surely judge. If he'll go as far as to keep angels out of heaven... He most certainly will go and judge mankind and false teachers and those who do not obey his word. That's the point Peter's trying to bring out. The second example there is in the days of Noah. Peter quoted, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of the eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood, uh, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. He says, this reminds us of God's willingness to punish the wicked, but also of his desire to preserve the faithful. Noah and his family were saved. Now, we've already made this point a few weeks ago. To be saved at that point, there was one what? One ark. Wasn't multiple arks. I've already said this as well. Noah had one sermon. <laughs> it's going to rain. <laughs> you better get right. So to be saved, they had to be inside the one ark. Today, to be saved, you must be inside the one church, the body of Christ. You see, it's that simple. But people today want to make many ways. We want to make many choices. You know, we used to, when I was a kid, there was only, now my, my family makes fun of me. I call them corn curls. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Cheese curls. Properly. I call them corn curls. In Alabama, we call them corn curls. I don't know why we call them corn curls. But there's all type of corn curls, isn't there? You can get jalapeno. You can get different cheeses. You can get the cheese puffs. You can get all kind of these little, these little cheese things. And we're all a society about choices. So why do people follow their ways so willingly? It's because we're in a society about choices. We have choices about uh, what insurance company we go with, Miss Vic. 
We got choices about uh, what clothes we want to wear, or where we go to school, or where we. It's all about giving people choices in our world today. And when it comes to religion, there's no choice. There's only one. But we've allowed, mankind has allowed the influence of the world and the destruction of false teachers, destructive teaching, to influence them to say, oh, I can choose my religion like I choose my food. And that's not what God intended. But again, he talks about Noah there. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But he was willing to save the just, the righteous. Then he goes into his final example there, destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. We know the history of that, uh, that city, those two cities. Turn them into ashes. Tonight we're going to talk about remember Lot's wife in our worship tonight. Lot was saved from destruction like the wicked who perished in the flood. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah were judged fairly and rightly destroyed. How many did they start out with? Was it 50? Yeah. All the way down to 10, wasn't it? If you can find this 10. God justly, he gave them time. He was long-suffering. He gave them every opportunity in the world to find 10 people. But couldn't do it. They were judged fairly and rightly destroyed. And the book points out here, the people who to whom Peter wrote could relate to Lot, for they, like him, were tormented by the words and deeds of the false teachers who troubled them. All three examples here, God punished wickedness. In the last two, he protected the faithful. One commentator right here says, while God judges the ungodly, he delivers the faithful. That's, that's promising to us. That should be encouraging to us that we don't have to suffer. We don't have to live eternally in hell. Secondly, Christians must not compromise with worldly sin or they too will share in the judgment reserved for the ungodly. Christians ought not to take sin, what? Casually. Lightly. That's what we do today. We take it lightly. We've become... Uh, numb, if you will, to sin. You think about all the sinful things around us. <laughs> We've just become numb to it, really. We're just like, well, things that used to make us blush no longer makes us blush. We just says, well, that's how it is. And we find ourselves often, a lot of times we find ourselves engaging in those things. And sin most certainly should not be taken lightly. There are consequences for flirting with sin, even when God rescued the sinner from final destruction. There's consequences for flirting. And a lot of times people want to flirt. What does that mean, flirt? Close as you can without getting involved in it. Totally. You know, there's things today that when it comes about marriages, they got this thing now, they say, I had an emotional affair. I don't know if y'all have heard that or not, but I have different ones. I was emotionally involved 
flirting with sin. You may not have committed a sin of adultery or fornication or whatever the case may be. She was pretty, he was right there on it, flirting. Judgment now, 2 Peter 9 through 11. God delivered Noah and Lot while also rightly punishing the wicked. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly. We've already established that. Out of those temptations, those things they deal with. Wayne Jackson wrote, the verbal force is that they enter a state of punishment at death and remain in that condition until the day of judgment at which time the punishment will be intensified eternally. The wicked, de the wicked dead are not unconscious nor will they be extinguished eventually. So what does that say about those in the Hayden realm who are, who are in that great gulf from this fix where the rich man and Lazarus are? It says... It will be intensified. At the day of judgment, it will be intensified when he says, depart from me, ye that work in the iniquity. I, I didn't know you. It be in constant anguish and eternally, forever. And that's the point there. The scripture false teachers in these verses are striking. They not only walk according to the flesh and the lust of uncleanness, but also despise authority. Their corrupt behavior is driven by pride and greed. They're self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil things of dignitaries, wherever angels who are greater in power might not bring a reviling accusation against them before God. Anyone who dismisses God's plan at the bottom of page 109 is in favor of his own falls into his same trap. Nevertheless, judgment awaits. Do not deal with sin lightly. We need to take it seriously. Do I hear kids? They come. All right. All right. Let's close with a prayer this morning. Father in heaven, we're thankful for the day and the blessings of it, the beautiful sunshine and the cool of the morning. We're thankful, Father, for the good night's rest, to rest our bodies and our minds, to prepare for worship today. And we pray that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, bless and keep us. Be with all who need our prayers, and you know their needs more than we do. Forgive us, Father, and help us to be your servant. Help us to take sin seriously and to be obedient in all ways and put you first. In Christ's name we pray, amen.